This is Republic of INSEAD, the 20 years later O3D podcast edition. I am Milena Ivanova and will be your host in this limited series. So, here we are, 20 years later, hopefully all the wiser, naturally smarter and as charming as ever. There were 432 of us in the O3D vintage. And certainly, there are 432 unique and very interesting personal and professional stories to tell. While I cannot physically cover all, I have tried to make a selection of stories that will keep you interested and curious and will hopefully convince you to join us on campus for reunion. Welcome to the Republic of INSEAD podcast edition and enjoy the show. All right, a slight, a slight curveball your way again, people. Two guests, a she and a he. And I'll ask them to open with their respective yearbook entries of 20 years back. That would be fun. Let's see what this gives you as information on who's in the room today. Since it's ladies first, I ask him to open. Okay, hi, everybody. So her balance sheet reads as, her balance sheet is, yes, it balances. On the asset side, you could think of her, find her in the Sigma Club, but she's too cool for that. But uh, walk in the finance classes and you you see her studiously attentive with glasses perched on her face. Liabilities, uh, with her efficient and poise, she's the one who will correct the instructor to keep facts straight or even question the dean about faculty packages, package hiring the deals. Hedging diversification with INSEAD, guys, equity. If you stereotype her as a German, you'll be doing a double take. Who is this blonde bombshell at the summer ball? The Miss, uh, Mont Canibalu uh, expedition leader, the experienced diver in the depths of Manado. To boot her adventurous spirit, she has a Japanese sense of consideration and hospitality. So she's the best companion to explore to, the, to explore the world. MDA analysis, no matter what hellhole you find yourself in, Wharton, with this perfect blend of smart, beauty, and fun around, you will be chilling and relaxing through all your woes. End of quotation. And now let's hear his profile entry. All right, here we go. This Brazilian bull spread was trading heavily on several markets in P1, but showed low volume when he decided to limit the risk in P2. In P3, he did careful stock picking and diversified in German-Japanese stocks, further securing his portfolio in P4 by concentrating on high-value assets. In P5, he needed to decide which options to exercise. His engineering career formally ended as chief designer of the disastrous rugby volleyball-shaped egg launcher, which he couldn't care less. Now focusing on fiancé, he only took his first break halfway through the summer ball. On his return from South America, we saw a new airtime hog catching up on class participation with his views on talking blankets and tactful directness during group presentations. Despite winning the most changed award, he proved to be a very consistent and perfect companion for partying, travel and fun experience in Singapore. There we are. Tactful directness. Well, well, so I'm not alone there. Okay. I'm very tactfully direct, meaning not at all. Welcome. Welcome to both of you. Now, I don't know if people figured it out already, but there we are. I've done 16 recordings so far and I have a few left to do. But out of the 16, uh, for those of you who have been listening regularly, you'd know there is at the end of it a quick fireside questions. And the first question I ask people is your proudest achievement. And guess what? I haven't done the analysis on uh, exact statistics, so I couldn't quote the percentage, but majority of people, when I ask them proudest achievement, what they say is my kids, my family, still being married along these lines. So therefore, I really, really wanted to speak to a couple and so I invited this couple. I invited a few more, but these were the only brave ones who agreed to actually <laughs> tell it as it is. So thank you very much for this. And uh, welcome to the Republic of INSEAD podcast. And uh, let's begin with the real stuff. Tell me, tell us where you've been the last 20 years, what you've been up to together and separately. 
Okay, so uh, I'll just go quickly first. And then, so we, um, after INSEAD, uh, we did Singapore and France. And then in uh, 04, we moved to the UK. And we have been here since then. Uh, we, we lived in a few different places uh, before the kids were around the Canary Wharf area where we were busy working in banking, but it was very convenient, uh, you know, uh, walking to work. And then uh, when the, the kids came, we, we moved to, to Clapham, a bit more central, a bit more like village-like feeling. And it's a great area. We're, we're super happy here. The girls go to school nearby and it's, it's a great, a great area. We're super happy. No, Marita? Yeah, absolutely. No, great. Um, has been a great time for us. We came to London after and said, thinking we're going to spend about two years in, in London. And we're still here. Uh, so I kind of think we got stuck, but uh, in a good way. It's just hard to find any other place after after having been here. And uh, being, you know, Marcelo obviously from Brazil, me from Germany. I don't think we'd want to live in either of our home countries at this stage. And then London is just a fantastic uh, compromise. Uh, and yeah, so we got stuck and we'll probably be here for another few years. Mm, <laughs> right. I didn't survive London. Oh, London. Ah, London didn't survive me. So there you go. You're survivors. And professionally, what have you been both finance? So it was all predicted, obviously. The yearbook said it all. Equity, spreads, hedges, balance sheets. Where are you now and where are you coming from professionally? Yeah, maybe I start with that one. Um, so I don't think it was that predictable because I really thought during INSEAD I want to have a career change. But I've been at Nomura um, in investment banking before INSEAD. And then INSEAD actually helped me to decide that's probably a good thing to start and go back to investment banking just because all the other options seemed even less appealing after some testing out of, of stuff. So I started at Lehman Brothers of all places in London in 2004 had a blast, to be honest. So no complaints about the choice or anything else. I thought for Marcelo, because he started at Barclays at the time, he got the short straw of the, the family couple. But uh, then obviously in 2008, all things changed. And um, in a way, maybe luckily, I just got brought back by Nomura as our head of, of the London office uh, reminded me multiple times on Marita San, we, we brought you back. Uh, but that's life, I suppose. And I stayed there up until 2012 and then decided that banking wasn't as fun as it used to be and joined the very probably not light but dark side of fintech and have done more entrepreneurial things since 2012. Um, had my own company for a bit, have advised mostly smaller companies than uh, back in the past on capital raises, debt equity, hedging, all sorts of things. And through all of that, uh, have ended up in a couple of startups and scale-ups. And am now, so I'm cutting the story a little bit short because you said two minutes, um, am now CFO, second CFO position in a fintech startup called Bound. And we're doing foreign exchange risk management for tech scale-ups like us. All right. True. And then and uh, the on one my with end, the short... uh, sorry, Milena, you're saying? Yeah, the one with the short straw, as Marita said. Yeah, so well, <laughs> the short straw became a long straw after like Alima went under. So I stayed in Barclays from 04 to 16. And it was great because it was the time that Barclays was going from being a tier two bank into a tier one bank. So I, I, I you know, all the growth that came with the bank, it worked well. It was a great school. I had a great time. But by 2016, like Marita, like I was pretty much done with banking, having already working with banking before, before INSEAD. And I, I was up for career change. So I, I changed completely. I, I learned to code and I, I wanted to go back into trading. And I went into systematic trading for five years, uh, developing uh, models for trading. Uh, I did that for five years um, and then developed models for uh, cryptocurrencies as well. And then I fell completely in love with that and fell into the rabbit hole of a blockchain Web3. And then in 2021, I started a venture capital fund with uh, four partners and we're going on for two years. Uh, lots of ups and downs, but an extremely interesting space. It's an area that uh, I, I plan to stay on. Uh, it's, uh, you know, it has its ups and downs, but 
it will completely change what I was doing before. And like, uh, you know, banking, uh, FX, payments area is going to change a lot. And this is the next leg of finance. And I, I feel in many ways very fortunate to be in it and uh, excited because it looks like uh, the early days of of uh, banking and uh, and markets so it's uh, it's super exciting mm. <laughs> interesting all right so as a couple and as professionals what would you say have been the most challenging most difficult things you had to deal with in these 20 years well for, for me kilili was the the first birth of our the birth of our first daughter you know these things they don't come with manuals and no matter how blood cold blood we are and how cool we try to be like you know we were very very nervous you know like just to give you an idea we we bought like a, a very expensive kit to freeze like the umbilical cord and when she came and she was like a two weeks late so we had like a plenty of time to prepare and we completely forgot everything we went to the hospital and in like we were just like very nervous like having like a a, a life that uh, you know depended on us from not not ever having that before. I think that for me was one of the biggest challenges. Uh, work work is never a challenge. It is a challenge, but it's you know a constant challenge. If it's something that really changed your life, was you know once you you go your life changes completely, right? Once uh, once children come. Mm. Marita. Yeah. Look, I would say it similarly it's obviously being parents and married and having both full-time jobs for the entire time i think uh, the the major challenge for me was just having enough time for for all of three of the three right because it's not just the kids not just the marriage not just the job but uh, you kind of have to fit everything into life and uh, once in a while even find time for yourself which has been very challenging for many many years i think we're now in a better place um, with vali and vicky being slightly older they're now 13 and 15 so they have their own stuff going on i think it's gonna um, start a new phase in our lives because uh, they don't want to spend as much time with us anymore which is um, unfortunate but in a way also expected and and good so they are obviously growing and being very independent and and all that so yeah i would say just finding the time prioritizing correctly um, always a challenge if you do work because people just tend to take your time for granted and, and try to grab it as much as possible with, with, with the kids and then Marcelo and then me on the back end somewhere myself. I think that was the kind of the, the packing order in terms of actual time spent, not the time how I wanted to spend it, if mm. that makes sense. All right. So how did you, what are the tricks you discovered along the way or shortcuts or... I think there are no shortcuts, to be honest, but tricks, I think, as long as we have support, mutual respect, I think for us, that worked really well. Um, when I decided to leave banking in 2012, it was obviously a very high-paying job and all that. So we had the discussion on, should I really do that? Should I not do that? What kind of implications does it have? And Marcelo has been great on that and just said, you know, just try it out, do whatever you need to do. And I think that was really helpful. And then just, yeah, trying to... I think I get bored very easily, so I can't have the same stuff every single day and uh, just trying to reinvent myself all the time. And now, you know, from very big bulge bracket investment banking into tiny startup stuff, it's not been easy, but I really enjoy it. Um, and I think the support has always been there. So very grateful for that. And I think that's one of the probably the magic sticks that you can can uh, wield once in a while. Um, needs to be there and and i think well, one thing that you mentioned which is very important is to understand that you know career and, and life it, it's a journey right there'll be times that one of the partners is going to be ahead of the other one and uh, you know um we think uh, this a little bit like uh, it's almost like a, a relay race you know like uh, that at some different points in life the career of one is going to be the one one of the two is going to be the let's say the stable income earner Whereas the other one is retooling, relearning, and preparing for the next moonshot, and hopefully it happens, and and then the other and then inverts, and then you know, so you take turns, you know, and then as you said, as long as there's mutual respect and understanding, and and we work almost as a team, like you know, like while one is retooling, the other one is really working hard, and it's it's how it should be, right? If you if you keep this balance right, you know, it, it works. It simply works. 
yeah, we work as a team, but I think the other maybe magic ingredient to making it happen on the Marriott side is not working together. Well, yeah, that's for <laughs> sure. Separate lives for that as well, because I think I think that for us at least would be a recipe for disaster if we had like Agreed. zero space between us. We all so. agree with that. Well, I mean, all of us coming out of INSEAD, not all, but majority would be very driven, very much on the alpha side. So even if you don't work in the same company, it would still come through. So the curiosity for me there is how do you, how have you, because uh, all of us have these experiences, uh, how have you overcome the ego when one of you have had to take the, the second fiddle, to be the second fiddle? Because as you said, it's a relay. So when the relay is not with you, how do you? deal with that and it, it because we are all driven male or female coming out of business schools doesn't really matter we are super ambitious so yeah, I don't, I don't, sorry go you go first so i mean if we say second fiddle i think look for in in our case i think none of us ever slowed down in the in the work side of things okay so i think we have been very very focused on work all the time, even though it's a relay in terms of one more stable income, one more, you know, optional, maybe. But the, the work week was always 60 hours plus for either of us, right? So what that essentially means is that you have to figure out your private life. And I think I've been super lucky to have met Marcelo, um, who has been used to grow up with all sorts of personnel around him, a very privileged upbringing. I didn't have that. But I very much enjoyed that in our relationship that I was not expected to clean, cook, drive people around or whatever. Um, I think that that was pretty important because otherwise, as you say, no, we are both pretty alpha, um, alpha female. don't know if that exists. But anyway, and, and I think just the, it's really the support that matters and then yourself knowing where you are in the career and step change and all sorts of things um, and just having... I think intellectual challenges here, there, and left, right, and center, and then being able to discuss them over dinner with the entire family. I think it's actually quite nice to have the balance of you know crazy work days and then family dinners that we do together, four of us still, even though the girls at times complain, but they have to be there. This is just, I think, our mechanism to have you know the a life together as well as our separate ones. So maybe maybe to complement, uh, you know, if you if you think back of what Marita mentioned of the the teamwork in the end of the day, when when it's really teamwork and and there is uh, love is involved and, and and understanding, you know, like uh, on the on the on the household level, the alpha part it, it doesn't really apply because you know like it, it, when we are at, at the work set and say look i, I want to be the best uh, i am the best at this i want to show that i'm the best at this you know when you're in the household you are like okay you know look how best i am in cooking or or washing dishes or <laughs> you know i'm the best one in researching the next uh, holiday trip or buying school uniforms so it just doesn't work like that so the way it works is there's a bunch of chores that need to get done. Uh, we pick our spots. Uh, the stuff that is less annoying, each one picks the one that is less annoying to each one, and we get it done, you know. And then, of course, uh, going back into this, you know, like uh, the the stable income versus the moonshot uh, one. The, of course, the one that has the stable income get a free pass in some of the house chores. And, and can push some stuff to the other one and it's, it's totally understandable. And then it swings again, you know, eventually. And, you know, and, that, and that's how it is. And as long as both understand this and, and we do, uh, life works like very, very well in general. Yeah, right. Unless I try to stack the dishwasher, that's where it ends because it's not my job and I'm not good at it. And Marcelo is very protective of the dishwasher. <laughs> That is true. It's that's my OCD. My OCD uh, doesn't allow her to touch the dishwasher. Well, I don't mind at all. Well, it works well. I'm the Marcelo in our household, so there you go. But I mean, going back to and this is cultural. And Marcelo, you come from Brazil, and we spoke about this before. But I would push back a little and say I wouldn't push back. I fully get it. It works for you. But for example, where my first marriage ended was when I was the one running with the career 
and my husband at the time was taking a break and he was an Italian and he didn't like me making the money and him staying at home. He wasn't staying at home, but he was taking a break. So this is where things collapse. So it's very easy and it could work the other way around again, because we MBA women are very driven. So, so, so pushing or, or putting a question in there, how has culture you Brazilian Marita German affected how things work? It, it, so this was actually we're very lucky on that one because uh, I'm more German than Marita and she's more Brazilian than me in the sense that, you know, whenever there is if someone needs to give a hard time to the kids, give properly shit to them because they did something wrong. It's me. I'm always the bad cop. I'm always the guy. You know, I, I, I joke with Marita that the girls will, will one day come back to see us because because of her, because, you know, like I'm the one always giving the hard time. And then when I'm done, of course, I'm feeling horrible, but, you know, like uh, some stuff needs to get said and done. And, uh, you know, Brazilians are very relaxed in general and uh, they don't care much about this educational aspects and, and angles. And we, we, we also I don't think none of us bring any cultural heavy baggage. You know, like I'm a Brazilian that's not big on football or samba. I live in London for 20 years, just tells you everything, right? You know, you get out of South America and live in a country that has a completely different weather. And actually, I, I quite like it, to be honest, like it, with different seasons and so on. So not, I don't think none of us are, is the typical stereotype. And that makes it very easy to, you know, there, there's, there's no cultural angle that uh, bothers the other. I don't think. Maybe she thinks differently, but that's how I feel. No, I, I think it's a really interesting question because culture is always something that we are obviously aware of and that we get taught um, to be aware of and all these things. I think for Marcelo and me, literally, as he was saying, he is more German than me. I'm probably not more Brazilian than he is, but anyway, uh, definitely not as outgoing as the, the standard Brazilian. So Brazil for me is very intense for most of the times, but Anyway, I think for us, it has never been an issue. And I think that's down to him being not overly controlling or wanting to be the... He, Marcelo is great because he's super confident. He's like one of the most confident people I know. And that for when the woman is the one making more money or whatever it is, right? Being more successful on paper, whatever it might be, you know, always feels different on a day-to-day -day basis anyway. But whenever that happens, he's been just really good and supportive and there were absolutely no issues. And I think that is part of why it actually worked. And so, then, Melina, as you were saying, right, usually it's more the, the woman standing back and having to support. And I can do that. I'm happy to do it. But uh, I need my space as well. And, and he has been uh, yeah, fantastic with that. Well, so basically your success, in fact, has been building a team as a Post to running on separate tracks. So there you go. There you go. The M&M &M team. <laughs> I like this. Can you think of one crisis moment in the in I can't. The I, I, there, there may be like one night I went to bed, piss off, but the next day um, yeah, it's like, you know what? Forget about it. I, I can't remember. There was like, a, I don't recall. If there was, I can't recall. Uh, maybe there was like one or two nights in maybe the span of 20 years that uh, I would be pissed off with something. But the next day already, it was like, forget about it. It's, it's not worth it. You know, like it's, it's not worth the, it's not worth it. I'm just trying to think. I don't think we had a real crisis, but also it feels like the last 20 years have been a blip. It's just was so intense, so fast. It just passed. I can't believe how old we actually are. So it's going to be really weird seeing everybody in October for the 20-year reunion. <laughs> and it's just, yeah, at times shocking how fast life passes. Mm. Mm. And yeah, luckily we didn't have a crisis in between. All right. So to, to, to refocus a bit on the professional side, and it's very convenient because both of you have been in finance or in banking. Uh, how... You're running commentary on the evolution of the industry, and this may be more for Marcelo and then where you've ended up now. And then I'd love to hear a bit on moving from the corporate into the startup world and how how different it is and how it feels. So there's a question for each of you. Okay. 
So like on finance, like from very early, I wanted to work in finance because I, I thought it was super cool and, and, and frankly, it paid well. So it was a great time, you know, like the, the 20 years I had in banking. But, you know, after the, the great financial crisis, the industry changed a lot and, and became almost like a sausage factory that, you know, products very standardized, very constrained in terms of what the professionals could do in terms of the creativity, product generation. And uh, if you were senior enough, your job went from being like maybe head of sales to become like a half compliance, half HR and with a third of the pay. So, which is very sad. Um, and then, you know, like at some point in, by 2016, I, I really wanted to leave and, and I left. Uh, I understand that now the industry is pushing back a little bit and it's not going to where it was, but it's slightly better, but it's, you know, like uh, it has changed completely and the jobs changed because of the technology as well. You know, like the, the job I used to do when I started, which was FX, nowadays it's done by machines. You know, you don't need people anymore. Like the value added of the human component, it's, it's more. And, uh, and then, you know, like uh, as a way to, to, and I'm always like very intellectually curious and I, I need that, otherwise I also get very bored. So when I, I discovered blockchain, I said like, wow, this thing can change so much of this industry that I think has been destroyed. And now with AI and AI getting applied together with blockchain, it's like, uh, it's super exciting because, you know, I, I feel super fortunate that to be in this intersection with mostly blockchain, the area we invest on, but there is applications of AI in many of the companies we, we invest on. And this is super exciting, you know, like uh, I feel almost like a geek, but uh, sometimes on the weekend when I have a little bit of time, I'm reading about, about, you know, how this uh, LLM models work and so on. And it's like super cool. I, I, I really like it. And I, I do think it's the, the next, uh, you know, evolution of finance is going to come from improving payments, uh, streamlining, removing the middleman, the rent seekers, which a lot of times is the bank, which is the trusted party. Whenever there is a service, uh, you need to deposit some money so the service get released or you deposit some money for the whatever bond or equity get released this is all going to disappear because with smart contracts you, you don't need that middleman anymore so it's it's a super exciting space i think so in fact maybe before we go to marita just to tell people because i didn't yeah uh, the moonshot you're getting at now is a fund which invests in Sure. So uh, uh, we have a venture capital fund that uh, invests in early stage companies all the way from pre-seed to series A in companies creating on the blockchain space. Um, some of these companies, they use AI together with blockchain, but the focus, our focus is Web3 blockchain. Uh, mostly uh, we've been doing this for two years. So we have, uh, we have raised fund one. Fund one is 90% uh, deployed. Uh, crypto is going through a crypto winter, what as we call right now, under 18 months, and we're just helping our portfolio company. Now that we invested, we're trying to help our portfolio companies to be ready. It seems that the market's ready for a turnaround, and we're helping them to be in the best shape for the next phase that is coming up, probably by the end of this year. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's very exciting. It's a lot of uh, new projects, a lot of new ideas on on how to fix a lot of piping of banking and, and payment solutions. Uh, it's, it's a very exciting space. So Bitcoin is not going away then, is what you're saying. Bitcoin, is that, when I say blockchain, we, uh, we don't invest in, in Bitcoin, we don't invest in Ethereum, we do classic venture capital business. We invest in the companies that are creating on the blockchain space. You know, whenever there's a gold, a gold rush, People that make most of the money is the people that sell the picks and shovels. We invest in the picks and shovels, infrastructure, finance. We, we, I, I, I personally own Bitcoin and, and Ethereum, but that's me. You know, like uh, the fund, we, we invest in companies and we invest in most, first and foremost, in, in people that we believe that uh, are bright and, uh, and they're doing an amazing job. By the way, we just did a, a massive conference in Oxford. Because Oxford and, and Cambridge, they are, you know, getting more and more prominent in the blockchain space. And we were one of the main sponsors and we were trying to bring these people uh, closer to the finance side and, and 
highlight some of these projects because there's a lot of bright ideas coming from there. Mm, all right. And central banks are finally going to have? They will. Uh-huh. They will. But actually, coming from emerging market, uh, I'm very concerned about the CBDCs, uh, you know, uh, which is like uh, the, cent- the digital money uh, issued by the central banks, because, you know, the, there's a lot of financial repression in emerging markets. Think about China, uh, Brazil and, and other countries, um, you know, like Russia. Um, the, the CBDC is... Uh, it can very easily on the on the wrong hands turn as a repression tool uh blockchain is an amazing uh way of payment but it should not be controlled by governments money shouldn't be like the 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 main motto of people in in this space is that you know once at some point religion got separated from state so money should also be separate from state when whenever money is controlled by the government it ends up badly, right? You know, you see what's going on with all the fiat currencies overprinting, you know, like the dollar is getting destroyed uh, together with uh, sterling and euro. And because we are crisis after crisis, and the only way they figure out a solution is to print in more money. So, it, and then you're creating all sorts of distortions socially, right? Because all, all this printing assets are, are getting inflated. So people that have assets are getting massive uh, massively rich and people that uh, have working jobs they are getting left behind because their money is worth less and less so it's a you know this is this is a topic for another conversation yeah. but it's it's a big problem it's a big societal problem right now because you can see this across the most developed countries right the extreme left and extreme right that is coming up because of this difference between the have the people that have assets against the people that don't have assets People have assets with all this money printing are getting rich. Equities keep on going up. House prices keep on going up. And the, and the young, I, I feel for my, my daughters, I feel for the young people that are coming to the market that, you know, they, they won't have money to afford the house. They won't have money to start, you know, have a, a decent start because the, it became unaffordable, you know, uh, houses for young couples, you know, like it's, uh, it's really crazy. Pushing the limits of capitalism, huh? trying right. to see where where the end of it is. So, Marita, you're transitioning from corporate into startups and CFO jobs. And yeah, I was just about to say, Milena, you made a, a you made a mistake asking Marcelo about what he actually does because he's so passionate about it. It's probably <laughs> That's uh, for, another, right. for another <laughs> podcast. But uh, anyway, we can talk about that forever. So for me, I think the transition from bulge bracket investment banking into startup stuff um, has been an interesting one because one, I think it's good to actually start out in the more corporate space because you get proper training. And I think that nobody can take away from you. So not just from the MBA, but even the investment banking stuff before and after, you're just very comfortable with the language. You know, we all create our own vocabulary to keep other people out of the industry, stuff like that. You just get trained on whatever you, you need to get trained on and and uh, nobody can take that. So in 2012, when I made the big change from a whatever, tens of thousands of uh, people company into a four people company, um, the, the most important learning for me was that you don't really need all of the support that you thought you needed desperately before. So none of that back office, legal, compliance, blah, 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 where you need tons of people. You just figure it out yourself, right? And I don't think it's for everybody. Some people will never figure stuff out on their own. And uh, some people are a bit more flexible. It took me probably some time to figure out how to build a successful business. I think that's not easy. Despite all the entrepreneurship classes and everything else, it's not easy to set up a scalable business from scratch. That was a learning, but it's a it's a learning that has, uh, after now, 10 years plus on that path, I think paid off. You just have to give it a try. You fail at times, no doubt about it. You have to choose the people you want to work with very, very carefully. I think that's another big learning, as in no big machine needed, but very good people around you that you can work with on very long days and hours and weekends and everything else is super critical. Uh, with the right mindset and the same kind of mission in mind. Um, that has definitely crashed at some stages in my career since leaving banking, um, just because I 
tend to work with people that have been in, as you call it, alpha type roles, I guess. And everybody has very strong opinions and most came from banking and it was just, okay, let's not do step ABC. Let's jump straight to whatever it is Z, right? So we don't want to make a million here or there. We want to make 100 million straight in the next deal. And that is impossible to build a scalable business like that. You need to take a couple of baby steps before actually getting to something that works and then figure out how to scale it. Um, the other thing is that consulting obviously is super hard to scale because you can just scale the people. So tech needs to be involved in this current day and age. And um, yeah, super happy where I am now. Um, and I think the CFO type of role fits quite well for me, even though I've done sales most of my life, if you think back. Um, but it, it works quite well because I can kind of be the, the head of the engine room of everything that drives a startup to success. And it's uh, it sounds you know, very dull to say CFO, but uh, it's actually quite fun because most of the stuff I'm doing doesn't have anything to do with accounting, reporting, etc. That needs to be done fine. But um, it's about the capital raising, about the new trends in the market and really giving the business a direction, which makes sense from all sorts of angles. Mm-hmm. So and long so and short. And so the startup you are the CFO of now is in what, what does it do? What's the business? So it's called Bound, and we do foreign exchange risk management for tech scale-ups. So you would think that banks are very good in providing foreign exchange hedging solutions to companies. They are actually not, because most companies deal with other problems and not FX. But FX does become a problem at some stage of the company. Then they call their banker. The banker is trying to make money out of them. Then they have to shout and negotiate on price. Some banks don't want to deal with you at all on that because they think you're too high of a risk of a client. Then you go to a classical broker, you do the same, you, you know, you shout, you get a price and you eventually transact. Nobody wants to do that on a monthly basis for programs and hedging of payroll that needs to be done quite frequently. So we are building technology so you don't have to talk to anybody. If you don't want to talk to anybody, make it self-explanatory and transparent and really democratize the world of FX hedging. 95% of large corporations hedge, 95% of medium-sized ones don't. We are on the upper end of the medium-sized company spectrum in terms of client um, target group. None of them get good service from their banks. It's really quite shocking and incredible. When I was CFO of my previous company, I didn't hedge because I couldn't be bothered. So um, it's, I think it's a good niche in the market. People have figured out payments. As Marcelo was pay- saying, payments are also going to get entirely disrupted through the blockchain space. But the whole risk management bit of it, which comes on you know, future protection of cash flows, nobody has quite cracked. So that's what we set out to do. And so... You're where on the way you are? How many capital raisings have you done? How many people in the company? Yeah, so we have done seed and we have done a pre-series A race last year. Uh, One of the best capital raises I've ever done because we were done within six weeks. So that was pretty phenomenal. And then potentially we are raising a little bit more money this year, but maybe not. Depends because we have enough runway for quite a bit which is a nice position to be in because markets are really not great at the moment if you're looking for money. And given my job as CFO is to raise the money, it's, uh, you know, it's always good to have a bit of a cushion anyway. So we are there. We can get to profitability if we wanted to, but obviously with a bit more money, we'll do it faster. Mm. And in terms of people, uh, when I joined, we were 25 people. We are now 20 as CFO, you have a right to, to say, you know, it's enough, guys. We don't yeah. need to scale to 100 and uh, let's just keep runway and we can scale probably. So we scaled like 15x last year. So massive. And that's by reducing headcount. Mm-hmm. So hopefully we can grow another 5x um, before okay. having to spend that much more on people. And the clients are UK companies or... Well, because it's foreign exchange, so we focus on UK companies, but we do get inbound requests and we now have um, customers in the US, Asia, and pretty much everywhere on the planet. Great. So last question here, and then we switch topic entirely. What advice would you have given to your younger selves when we were back at INSEAD, 27, 28, 29, whatever? Mine is very easy. I I should have been a bit less uh, self-critical. But I still am, but I, I try to, to 
you know, there, there's some things in life you try your best. If it doesn't work, you know, you have to say fuck it and move on. You know, like uh, you try your best. You know, uh, but uh, for the 27 year old Marcelo, you know, you just wouldn't forgive himself if he didn't work whatever it was that he was trying to do, and that that's and that would have brought some more happy, maybe a bit more happiness some days that uh, you know I didn't need to be that pissed off with myself. Marita. So for me, I only really sort of appreciated the the value of networking way too late. I think it was kind of with INSEAD that I noticed, oh, there's actually something there. Or oh, people are amazing and they can help here, there and there. Before that, growing up in Germany, going to state school, state uni, I just thought, okay, I'm going to stay close to my inner circle of friends and that's it. That was not good for me. Definitely not. So I'm uh, since then actually trying to just be a bit more sociable, do networking, use it. And it's it's just been brilliant when it actually happens and when you make it happen. And then similar to Marcelo, the other one is resilience. So allow yourself to fail and don't be afraid. Just go for it. What's the worst thing that can happen for to you? Expect the worst and then hopefully you're you know, positively surprised after. I think those two things. Yeah. And if so, you need to fall, fall forward. Never fall backwards. You know, like uh, remain optimistic. Like, it didn't work next but you know try to, to whatever challenge you have think of it as opportunity you know like uh, and if you do that it works very well like psychologically speaking i like it resilience and the power of weak connections i think there was even a book written about of that title anyhow all right so switching gear into insead well insead gave you your family. So I guess you have a bit more than most of us out of it. My question there is, uh, and you did say you learned to net the, the power of network, etc. But on the giving side, everyone knows that's my agenda, part of my agenda. So you are among the donors and you've been quite regular in your giving. It's not like a random event, the German or the disciplined Brazilian, whichever way. Can you share with us how you think about giving back in general and giving back obviously is not just money uh, and then how you think about giving back to INSEAD. Maria, do you want to go first? Oh, uh. Yeah, Ken, Ken. Uh, so look, in general, I think giving back is super important, right? Because we are by now very privileged in what we have achieved and INSEAD was a big part, a big success factor for us. Of course, we got the family out of it, but we also got pretty good jobs after. And uh, of course, it's important to give back because without that, who knows where we were today? Nobody knows, right? So there are always some random and luck factor, factors that you have to be very grateful for. And then the giving back, I think, is, is super important. The way I'm trying to give back other than with money is to help people who are starting up companies. So I'm part of an accelerator, um, not by insert, but because I don't even though if we have one, but I'm doing that for the University of uh, Berkeley in California. They've just op opened a European outpost in Milan. So I'm just there as, you know, pro bono advisor to all of those startups who want to raise money and want to see where to take their businesses to and give them as much free advice as I possibly can. Because one, it's really fun. Great people there. Always amazing to, to meet people just straight out of uni, basically, trying to build their own businesses. And then, I mean, because of all the, you know, the longer the live, the more experience you have, the more hopefully you learn from it. And why should other people make the same mistakes you made? So um, that's, that's one big part of my giving back. Um, I'm also in the development board for a charity called Autistica here in the UK. And yeah, just again, trying to do the same, raise some money for them and help them out because I think yeah, autism is something that's still not understood correctly and everybody thinks differently and everybody's somewhere on the spectrum in my view, whether, you know, more to, towards the middle or what, the, the right or left or whatever. And I think we can just do so much more and governments aren't doing their jobs. So you need to look at the, the charitable sector a bit. And then in terms of INSEAD, yeah, I mean, has been still, I think, the best year of my life. I really enjoyed the experience and I got a ton out of it. So happy to give back. Yeah. So on, on my end, uh, so 
When I think about uh, the giving back, uh, yes, uh, you know, that's where I, my family started. That's where I got a chance to meet Marita and was like one of the luckiest things in my life. And, uh, you know, and, and the job opportunity that came after that, you know, and uh, so with that, like we, we got a, like a really good start. And then you know, when you think about that and, and being privileged, you say like, okay, so how, how can I give some back, right? And it's not even about the money because my my the com the commodity I have in least supply is time. So mm. and I think that you know I, I can dedicate some time to help INSEAD and, and younger people coming out of INSEAD. I've, you know, of course the money is important, but the, the the time you 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 dedicate to that, I think it's for me at least it feels more rewarding than giving money. You know, like the first ten years out of INSEAD, I was always helping on the selection process. Um, I participated in uh, the, the local, the London, uh, you know, uh, network and, and trying to help younger people coming out of INSEAD to help them to find a job or, or, or find the, the right network that they're lo looking for. Ultimately, uh, you know, like whenever I meet uh, people from INSEAD and uh, they need help, I, I always try to help. and. And I and it just it's it just feels right, you know. It's uh, it's very difficult to explain. It feels good, feels right. It's give a bit back of what you got, and uh, we'll keep on doing it. But uh, it just changes over time, you know. Like money is important. I think particularly as we we now like uh, have either like a twenty plus years of career. Like uh, if someone comes and asks for help, and we can help, you know, it's. It's really rewarding uh, seeing uh, this, uh, being able to help people, you know. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. And thank you for your generosity, both in time and money. So we move to the last bit, which is the fun bit. Let's see how quick you are on your toes. I start with questions and you decide if both of you want to answer or some you can take in turns, whichever way you like. Proudest achievement? Has to be my daughters for me. Yeah, same. All right. Boring. It is what it is. Boring, but it is what it is. There's no, there's no two answers to that one. You're confirming the statistics so far. I like that. Success for you is? For me, it's being able to spend the time in the way I want to spend it. That's the, the, uh, Yeah, I would say success for me is strike the right balance between work and family life. Sometimes, of course, the work still gets the best of us, but... Uh, you know, like we, we fight, we fight really hard to, to, to strike the right balance. Happiness is being around people I love. That's when I'm happiest. Yeah. So like I, I was thinking about that one and, uh, you know, happiness is being able to do waffles on a Sunday morning for my daughters and my wife mm -hmm. and spending time with them. And then now, now that they're getting older, we're starting to travel. So there's a new phase coming over. Like we went to Rome, uh, last October, we're going to, um, Puglia and Venice this year, like this, it's just so exciting to be able to, they're still around and, uh, you know, traveling with them now is cool and it's, it's really, these are really happy moments. Show them the world. Biggest yeah. regret, if you have any. Yeah, my biggest regret is never, never having enough time to squeeze everything in and um, that goes across the board actually. It's for friends, it's for family, it's for work even. So it's just everybody comes a bit short and I'm really sorry for that. And so for me, uh, as I was saying earlier, like, you know, after giving the, the 27 year old Marcelo, be a bit less harsh with yourself, um, have uh, less regrets. But one regret that I have is that uh, five years ago, my, my father passed away. Didn't have enough time to spend with him. We always have this uh, romantic uh, vision that, you know, you control time, you control your destiny. And it is so not true, you know, like uh, you, 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 I had this romantic vision that I could, you know, somehow when they were older, I could spend more time with them. Yeah. It never happened. You know, it never happened. Uh, Mike Tyson, the philosopher says that everybody has a plan until uh, you get a punch in your face. So like uh, you plan something for life, but life has completely different plans. Right. So, yeah. uh, you know, if I could have, have given a bit more time for them would have been uh, great. What keeps you awake at night? 
So for, yeah, for me, mostly, luckily, business stuff at the same, moment. Exactly the same thing. <laughs> for work stuff, it's uh, it's a constant. Like it is is rarely, rarely the girls. That's and if it is it's something silly that we're being like uh, overprotective parents, you know, like uh, there's never anything other than that that keeps me awake. Speaking of the girls, and I open a bracket here. I remember you years ago saying you will give them a mobile when they're twelve. Yeah, they did got you it. Stick with that. But did you stick? Did you survive until twelve? Yes. Because you know what? I've told my son he's not getting one until 12 because my friends in London do that. So, <laughs> so when he sees you, I'm going to point so, him at you and say, yeah, it's I their fault. Yeah, the blame first, it on us. The first one we held longer. The second one is always impossible, right? After the first one has. And also, they're both in girls' school. So, you know, like, uh, this is a complete separate topic, but, you know, like... Uh, the, they form groups of friends very quickly and, and they stick to those groups. So you, you need to be able to communicate with your, with your friends. Mm -hmm. And we felt that, you know, th then this goes into the next level, which is like, okay, it's not just the phone. It's what apps do you allow? Do you allow Snapchat with all this mess that is going on? Of You know, you start getting worried about, uh, you know, what happens with these apps uh, and where where's the data? You know, is this in China? You know, like, is that, you know, all this kind of stuff, right? So, and, but in the end of the day, all you can do really is a, the school tries really hard to educate them. We try really hard to have open conversations, say, look, you know, don't do anything stupid with your phone, you know, like, uh, because whatever you do is there forever, you know, like any pictures you post there is there forever. So just think about that before doing it. No, yeah. Like the yearbook. Well, at least ours used to be on paper. So yeah. now anyone who wants it, either you have it or you don't, right? That's so, right. There you go. There you go. All right. Close bracket. Wish you had known or someone had told you. And we kind of discussed it. But... Life is, is constant learning, right? There's no nothing like, oh, I wish I had known this before. Maybe, maybe uh, one, one that uh, really changed it for me was when I started working, I thought that uh, it was all just about being able to do a work well and you're done, right? You know, like you're going to get your recognition, you're going to get your money. But it's a point that Marita already raised, which is like the importance of networking, the importance of being able to, to have, you know, to, to talk to people and, and, and be able to, to, to find the right balance. You know, this is uh, super important. And it took me a while. Like when I started my career in banking, I thought you just do the numbers and everything else is going to come. It's not like that. You need to be able to not do the networking, yeah. talk to people, understand where they're coming from, what they need from you, what they're expecting and, and do a little bit of, uh, I don't think we're, neither of us are good in self-promoting, but, you know, like just show what you're doing and why you're doing and how you're doing. So people understand and they sympathize and, in, you know, if you don't do that, you, you, they don't know you exist. And then it's, it just hinders your career progress, you know? Marita? <sighs> yeah, look, it's, I think it's more of the same. I think for okay. me, it's um, being more open to listen to people that are not like me, right? Trying to meet more people and you know, give them some slack. Not everybody is the same. Not everybody is an alpha. So be a bit more patient, which I'm really trying every single day and I'm still failing. But yeah, things like that. One of these days, right? One of All these right. days. Retirement ever or never? Never. Never. All right. But, mm. but having that said, I'd love to not retire, but I'd love to be a bit more selective on how to spend time. So not having to do the same thing every single day and doing it in a different location, maybe. So for me, retirement is still working, but more selective, I would say. I think if either of us retire, we're going to drive the other one mad. So it's not a possibility. <laughs> uh, and I don't think either of us want, you know, like uh, while we are intellectually capable, and I hope it stays like that for, for many, many years to come. Uh, I don't think none of us want to, to slow down, you know, like uh, we, we both like always curious uh, to learn new stuff and uh, get involved in, in different things. So and we're doing like a really interesting stuff right now. So as long as it, it is this way, 
I agree with Marita, you know, like uh, maybe in 10 years time when the girls are out, like, uh, you know, do we need to be in London? Not necessarily. Can we be in a nicer place? Maybe in Spain, Portugal, Italy? Yeah. Or, or have like a small apartment here and, and a place where we spend more time by the beach and our work is all mostly remote, you know, like uh, you, yeah, you can spend like uh, two days in the city and three days elsewhere, you know, it works as well. Yeah. There you go. If you had to pick one book everyone should read, your top pick. I would pick Siddhartha by Hermann Hesse. Fantastic book. Yeah. Um, German writer, obviously, but uh, it's, a, it's a great book about life. So everybody should read it. For me, for me was uh, the Daniel uh, Goldman, the emotional intelligence, going back to what I was saying that, you know, like uh, in my early 20s, when I read that book, I had this like, uh, you know, pop up bulb in your head. It's like, Okay, you know, there is like a complete field here that I, I, I'm missing that it needs to, you need to do to, you know, and, and that, that, that started the process of changing in me that uh, I, I still, of course, always trying to improve, which is like, a, you know, how to deal with people, how to empathize with people, you know, how to be a, a better person and so on. But it's an it's a area of constant work. But, you know, if you don't balance out IQ with EQ, you're not going to go very far. And in my 20 plus years of professional life, the people that did best and the people I admire most, they all had a really good balance between being intelligent and having a good amount of emotional intelligence and being able to express themselves, sometimes be charismatic, sometimes be able to you know, lead people and be able to be the, the shining light of whatever they're doing. You know, yeah. So this is, yeah. This is the, the book for me. Super. I can recommend Back, Give and Take by Adam Grant, if you like the EQ bit. Uh, it's a book I cool. recently listened to. It's listenable on Audible. So. Meaning, you know, if you read economics, you cannot listen to economics, but nah. this one you can listen to. So, All right. Most admired public person, if you have one in mind. I don't have one, I have to admit. I'm, I'm getting really hard to impress at this stage so it's it's a really tough question and i have this thing where i if i don't meet somebody i don't kind of know them i forget the face straight away kind of so public person to admire for me doesn't exist because every single person i could think of that i admire something about also has some other sides that i don't admire mm. so Nobody has a clean health bill at the moment. Sorry. I, I, this is actually a very good point. I think as we, we get slightly wiser, like, uh, you know, we see through all these politicians and it's so difficult to find someone to admire. But if I had to pick, and I'll pick two, uh, I would say Trudeau. I think he really strives to, to strike a, a balance and make a Canada a better open place, uh, tolerant and open to the world. And it's refreshing. Uh, seeing what's going on in the US. And uh, Angela Merkel, I think uh, she tried really hard to do the right thing. She did a few mistakes, but uh, she she really tried hard to do the right thing. Mm. Interesting. A Brazilian uh, giving marks for German. I see the... Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. As All right. Can, there is no lack of self-confidence right? there. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so, and uh, would you have a most despised public person? This is Trump by a fair mile. Donald Trump, this, this guy is a disease, you know, like he, he's, he's just such a bad person. He's like... A... So for, for me, given that I didn't really have anyone that I admire, I have so many that I really don't like <laughs> that I'm not even able to give you the full list. But I would bucket them as populist politicians and put them all into that thing. And yeah. yeah. All right. No I way. I got that answer from someone else as well. So, all right. Okay. And the last question, are you coming to reunion? Of course. With or without the girls? Uh, I think without the girls, because we want to have some fun and uh, they have their own uh, agenda right now. And we don't uh, then to a seeing that, you know, this kind of stuff we might be doing there. <laughs> Maybe it's not a good example. <laughs> Someone was looking for babysitters. That's why I asked because they're nah, old enough. Yeah, now. okay, I see. No. <laughs> we probably right. gonna ship over the German the German laws to uh, to look after them. But if they, if they can't, it's fine too. They are big enough. I think they can handle two to three days on their own. 
Super. All right. So we'll see you October 6th in Fontainebleau and the gala at the Chateau on October 7th. And we kept on using your name, so it's no secret, but let me make it totally official. These were Marita and Marcel, Marcel Cavalcanti, finance professionals, an INSEAD couple and proud parents, as you already heard. Thank you very much for your time and for agreeing to this, because I tell you, it hasn't been easy. Thanks Thank a lot, you. Milena. Thank you for uh, all the work you do uh, on INSEAD and, and raising the money and, uh, and raising the awareness. Uh, this is uh, probably not a lot of people stop and, and spend the time to, to thank and uh you know a lot of times i appreciate the the work you do and but people don't don't they all appreciate but i don't think people spend the, the time enough to you and the other ones rudiger and the other guys that are doing all the work it's really this is really amazing well yeah, done thank you. congratulations to you milena very professional as always and thanks for all the hard work and hopefully we'll see you soon latest yeah. in october yeah <laughs> you were listening to the Republic of INSEAD 20 years later O3D podcast edition. It is my hope to remind everyone what an interesting and dare I say colorful bunch of people we are and how much we can contribute to each other, be it through ideas, knowledge or mere inspiration. The podcast is inspired by the original Republic of INSEAD yearbook produced on paper 20 years ago by Oliver Bradley and team. Thank you, Oli and team, for this contribution to our class's memory and for letting me continue in the tradition, title and inspiration included. Creator and author of the Republic of INSEAD 20 Years Later O3D podcast edition am I, Milena Ivanova. Original music by Peter Dundakov with help from Dare Films Productions. Stay tuned for more and remember to book your tickets for the 20-year reunion in Fontainebleau, October 6th, 8th, 2023. Thank you for listening.